Well, good morning, church family. And again, happy snow day. It's good to see you, kiddos, as you head on to class. And um, so we're excited about uh, the upcoming season as we, as we head into this, um, this, this Easter season here uh, at Hope Valley. Uh, you're gonna, we're going to see some things as we gear up towards heading that direction that we can be doing as a church family to continue to reach out to those in our community. Uh, one of those things that you're going to be hearing about in a little while is um, our church outreach day, which is coming up. And I would encourage you to think through that. It's on March the 25th. Just to kind of log that as a way that's in the afternoon because we're going to be putting together gift bags together and we're going to be going out into our community and inviting people to church and seeing if there's ways that we can pray for people. And, and so maybe just log that date aside as a way to get your family together and to join us as we go out into our community. We're going to go to the neighbors around us and again, just knock on the door, give them a little gift and then uh, tell them that the Lord loves them and that we love them and we'd love to see them here um, at Easter. And even if they never step foot in our doors, we just want them to know that, that we love them. We want them to know that there's a God who loves them. And so uh, we're going to be doing that together as a church family on March the 25th, and you'll be getting some more information about that. Um, also, we'll make a few changes here on Sunday morning as well, and Pastor Kevin will kind of walk us uh, through that in, during our announcement time at the end of the service. Um, but it's, uh, it's exciting times, an exciting uh, moment here at Hope Valley. Um, if you've got your Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be uh, continuing in the book of Genesis. If you're a guest with us this morning, thank you for being in with us, and thank you for being here. Uh, we're walking through Genesis right now, so you might as well just go ahead and turn there. If you've got your Bible, if you don't, it'll be on the screen for you to be able to follow along uh, with us. And um, we're going to continue. Now, this morning, as we get started, I have to give you a heads up. Uh, the, there's not... There's not a whole lot that's redeemable in the story that we're about to, to, about to hear. You're, we're going to see a whole lot of, of dysfunction in, the fa- in, in God's chosen family. And uh, it's, it's messy. It's really, really messy. Uh, so we're going to see a whole lot of what not to do. All right? So this morning, as we walk through this passage, you're going to be looking and training your mind to say, okay, I'm not going to do these things. It's like, it's like how not to raise your kids. All right, how um, how not to make decisions in your home, how not to choose a spouse, how not like all these things are going to be in the negative. Let's let's not follow this uh, this example. So we're going to see a whole a whole lot of that. Um, and I don't know about you. Have you ever felt that in your own life where uh, you've done something and it didn't didn't go quite right, and whether the, the way that you Raising your children, you realize you know that that probably didn't go very well, or the way that you spoke to your wife, or the way that you um, you know treated someone, um, and you thought you know what that's that didn't work out very well. We're going to see a whole lot of that uh, this morning, and so if you got it, uh, got your Bible, uh, go ahead and turn uh, Genesis. Look at verse twenty, uh, chapter twenty-five first, because that's going to set the context for us as we're going to be in twenty-seven and twenty-eight. But Pastor Kevin walked us through several chapters last week, so we're going to just, we need a little bit of a snapshot, a little bit of context, and then we'll jump into our our text uh, this morning. But up to this point, we've seen that God called a man named Abraham, right? He called him, and he set him apart for a specific purpose. He called Abraham, and then miraculously, he gave gave Abraham and Sarah a son. Uh, And so Abraham 
uh, was, uh, was given and blessed with, uh, with his son, Isaac. And then we see that Isaac is now going to be blessed with two sons, Jacob and Esau. Um, but pretty quickly, we're going to see that there's dysfunction in the family. Like, it's just, it's just continuing. It, it happened with Abraham and Sarah, and now it's happening with Isaac and Rebekah, and it's going to continue uh, in, their, in their family. So we get to chapter um, 25, and we see a passage that just kind of shows us, again, where we're at. So look at verse 21. This will give us our context. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. That's important. Hang on to that. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red. All his body was, a ha- was like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, and so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she, when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. All right, so as you read that, there should be some alarms going off in your mind. We're not hidden anywhere good, right? There's already favoritism. There's already dysfunction going on in, uh, in the family You've got a dad who prefers one son, and you've got a mom who prefers the other. And I wish you could tell you there was like some significant reasons for that, but there's not. Esau like really likes food, and apparently Esau's a good game hunter, and so he loves his son Esau. And then, you know, Jacob is you know the sort of the opposite end of the spectrum, and so Rebecca, her, she kind of leans more towards her son Jacob. In the very next passage, it's going to be this, 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 this narrative where Jacob sort of manipulates and steals the birthright from Esau. So Esau, as the firstborn son, would have gotten you know, the, 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 the first son's share of the inheritance of his father, and Jacob sort of cheats him out of that. And so, you, again, you've got this manipulating, this deceit, this, this dysfunction already taking place in, in this home, and you've got a dad who... This, this favoritism, and it's going, you're going to see that it's going to begin to rip apart the fabric of, of this family. Uh, it would be kind of like if uh, one of my daughters, um, she's already making a funny face. Whenever I talk about my girls, they, I don't know, they, they, I think they like it a little bit, and then they, they, they pretend like they don't. So, um, but it'd be like if one of my daughters um, got, uh, like, became an owner of a Cold Stone, and uh, y'all know that ice cream is kind of my thing, and so I'd be like, oh, okay, you own the Cold Stone, and so um, kind of like favoring one over the other for a superficial reason, and uh, that's, that's what's happening here. It's, there's, nothing, um, there's nothing good that's going to come out of this. And so you get to chapter uh, 27, and just like that, we're already at the end of Isaac's life. So look at verse 20, chapter 27, 
Beginning in verse 1, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I'm old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. All right. With the end of Isaac's life, he, doesn't, he actually is going to live 20 years after this, but he doesn't know that. He thinks he's towards the end of his life. He can't see anymore. Um, he's, he's getting old. And so he's going to give his, his blessing at this point. Uh, here's, the, here's the problem. We just read in chapter 25 that God said what? That the older was going to serve the younger. So God had already chosen Jacob, that the, the promised blessing was going to continue through the line of Jacob. And Esau would have known that, but what's Esau doing? He's already subverting the plan of God and saying, no, he, he's, got his, he's got his own plan. It, w- it would be as if Isaac was saying, okay, God, now I know what you're saying, um, but listen, we don't really do that in our custom. Like, it's not our custom for the, for the blessing to go to the younger son, so we're just going to kind of swerve around what you've said, and we're going to kind of go this direction. Like, Thank you, God, for that suggestion, but I've got my own plan. I hope you see the big problem with that is that, one, God doesn't make suggestions, right? He doesn't give us, you know what, hey, it'd be a good idea if you probably just did this. No, he doesn't, he doesn't do that. God doesn't, doesn't make um, suggestions. He tells us and calls us to something, and then we, our call is to respond and to obey. That's the, the call that God has has given to, to us. So already there's a problem here. He's trying to subvert the plan of God and to bless Esau instead of Jacob. Well, now let's continue. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt game for, uh, and to bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the before the Lord, before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare them from uh, pre- prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. So she's got this this plan. She's she's trying. Okay, so. I see what, what you're saying. You're going to try to bless Esau, but I want God to bless, and, and I want the blessing to go through Jacob. And in fact, if you think about it, she probably rationalized that because she knew what God had said. God said that it was going to be through Jacob. So she's probably rationalizing this deceit. She's got this deceitful plan that she's going to put in place to make sure that Jacob receives the blessing. She's doing what a lot of us do, right? A lot of that, and, and it's that, okay, I know what... Um, I know what God has said and what God has called me to, but it doesn't look, it's not panning out like I think that it should, so then let me just help him out a little bit. Like, let me just, let me try to help the will of God, right? We, we all have times in our life when we, when we try to help God out, and it, it presents itself in different ways. Maybe it's just that we don't wait on his timing, because we're not, it's just not, it's, things aren't moving fast enough. Maybe it's like, okay, God, you know, I know I've been praying for this, you know, this, this spouse and it's not working out. So I think I'm just going to have to find that person 
myself, or I'm just going to have to um, you know, go these directions on my own, or the job situation, or the financial situation, or, or whatever those things are. It's not waiting on God, it's trying to force the hand of God. So that, that's essentially what Rebecca is doing here, is that she's not following the plan of God, she's trying to force the plan of God. And God never blesses when we do that. Sometimes we try to do the right thing, but just in the wrong way. We try to go about it, and that's, and that's essentially what's happening, what's happening here. I think, I've, I think I've got time. I think I've told you guys this before. When I was a teenager, I worked at Kroger. I was like a, a, a bag person at Kroger, and I was, um, I was like 15 years old, 15, 16, and I started climbing the ranks in Kroger, which what I thought, which was like bag boy to cashier. I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm cashier now. And then I got to go, we had this uh, video department, and so then I got to go from cashier to like the video department. I was stepping up in the world. So then I got to like tag the videos and all that. And then I went to customer service, which was like, man, this is, that was great. It, It wasn't great, but I thought it was great. And so I'm working my way up in, in the, the ranks of, as a 15-year-old at Kroger. Um, and uh, there, was a, there was a guy, a manager that I'd kind of befriended, and he had this uh, big stack of labels. That he, what he was supposed to do is every the, the one night of the, of, the, of the month or the week, you had to take out the old sale items and put the new ones on, right, so that the next day they're ready for when people come into the store um, so that all the sale items that were going to be in the new weekly paper or whatever were going to be ready and on sale. Um, and so he would, something had happened, and he had this big stack, and he was like talking about how, you know, he was frustrated, and he, was, he had to go home early and wasn't going to be able to do it. So I was there, and I didn't have anything to do, so I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to help this guy out. I'm going to impress him, climb the ranks. Um, I'm going to put all these out for him. It's going to be great. And so I went throughout the store, and I took down the old prices, and I put the new ones up. And I was like, I, I, I mean, there was probably this stack, there was probably thousands of them. And I got the, done with that thing, and uh, I was like, this is, this is great. I'm doing the right thing. I'm going to help this guy out. The problem was um, I did it a day early, and so the paper hadn't gone out that next day. So it was So the next day... All these things, every item in the store is scanning wrong. Like every item that's on sale. And so, um, like the whole Kroger store just is in complete chaos because every item, like everything's wrong. And so I, the guy was like, he, he, I got called in and, and um, you know, I didn't climb the ranks anymore at Kroger. <laughs> um, so then I left to become a lifeguard. You know, you, you know my lifeguard stories. Um, I should probably stick to just this. Um, I was trying to do the right thing, but I was doing it in the wrong way. Uh, that's, that's what's happening here. Uh, and she's trying to force the, the plan of God. What's interesting, though, is that so as she's got this plan, she devises this plan. She says, look at verse 11. But then Jacob says to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. So Jacob's main objection is not, Mom, we, we can't do this. 
We can't sin against the Lord. We can't, like, we just need to wait on the promises of God. We've seen him act in the past. We know what he's going to do. We know that God's going to be faithful. We just have to wait. Now, what's Jacob's obje- objection? Yeah, it's not going to work. Like, he's, it's like more of function. Like, look at this. I, I'm not, I don't have enough hair on my arms. Like, that's his, that's his big problem with this, with this plan, is that he doesn't think it's going to work out, and he's going to get, uh, he's going to get caught. Now, before you um, have pity on Jacob, because, you know, this is the scheme of Rebecca, you know, for her son, you know, listen to my voice, obey my voice. The dude's 77 years old right now. Like, he's a grown man. Uh, he's not, it's not like a little 12-year-old boy who's following the will of his mom. He's a 77-year-old man. He knows the promises of God, at least in his mind. I don't think it's quite yet into his heart. But he, he knows what God has said. He knows what's right. He knows what's wrong. And he goes through with this anyway. And so they, they continue in on, on this plan. Verse 13. His mother said to him, let the, your curse be on me, my son, and only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and he took them and he brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put delicious food and bread, uh, and, which she had prepared, into the hands of her son Jacob. And so he went to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? All right, so now the plan is in full motion. They've gotten all the pieces together. They've thought about every angle they could possibly think about to now to, to put this plan um, before, uh, uh, before Isaac and make sure that this is going to work. And now it happens. And so Jacob goes before Isaac and he says, Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Lie. I have done as you have told me. Another lie. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found out so quickly, my son? Uh, He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Okay, holy cow. So now he's invoking the name of God into his lie. So he's not just saying, you know, I'm just really fast. He's like, the Lord your God gave me favor. This is like the definition of taking the Lord's name in vain. Like this, that's it right here, is, is invoking the name of God for your own purposes. And in this case, it's an absolute lie. So he says, the Lord, your God. Notice he says, Lord, your God. I think there's, again, that's an identifier where Jacob's heart is in this. He has not yet become his God. And so um, he says, you know, the Lord, your God, um, gave me uh, success, and then verse 21, and then Isaac said to Jacob, come, please come near that I may feel you, my son, and know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near his, uh, to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Again, another deception. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he answered, I am. And then he said, Bring it it near me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. 
And then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and he kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments, and he blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you and be Lord over your brothers. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So the plan essentially was successful, right? They, in their minds, they felt like, we did it. Like, Jacob, we did it. We, we deceived your father. You have gotten the blessing. From this point on, everything is going to be okay. And I can promise you that is not the case. See, we're, as we trace this, the lie and the deception, it, the lie that it grows and it grows, and there's one lie needs another lie to cover up that lie, and, it's, and, and that's, that's the nature of deceit is that when we walk in the shadows of, of deceitfulness, then one lie has to, is not going to be sufficient because then you got to, once that's, you got to cover it up and keep covering it up. And that's what happens in, with us as well when we try to walk in uh, dishonesty. In lie, and it's, it, it's a house that comes crumbling down every time. It may not be immediate, but it will happen. Our sins will find us out. That, that those things that were hidden in the dark will one day come to light. And we're going to see the destruction that happens uh, when it does. I was reading a story this week. It was really cool. Um, I'm not a history buff by any means. But as I come across these stories, they're, they're really neat. And, and so you may already have heard of this, this one. But uh, during World War II, there was... Um, the, the British ally armies had established, they had come up with this elaborate um, military deception plan. And they it had a name, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name, Operation Bertram or something like that. You can look it up. It's, it's out there. Uh, and so what was so neat about it, though, is that they had I mean, meticulously put together um, this plan in, in such a way so that it would hide where their forces were and what they were going to be attacking next. And they did it in this way. So they took uh, regular cars um, and they, they put fabric around them and they put wood frames around them to make them look like they were tanks. And they took these, uh, they made these like canvas wagons. In fact, I got some pictures here um, and you can see a few of them. So there's, a, there's an army tank that they've disguised to look like a normal truck. And then this next picture is a, is a, um, is a truck, uh, a regular truck that they, they were trying to turn in to make it look like a tank from a distance. Then the next picture is one they just like painted, like a canvas painting to make it look like, uh, you know, a military convoy. And the actual artillery and those things, they disguised them. So here's what they did. They did several different camps where they were actually going to be attacking. They disguised it to make it look like it was um, just normal vehicles and things like that. And in the areas where, um, where they wanted them to think the attack was coming from, they, they put straw people up there. Like they, they made this thing super um, elaborate. Um, but here's what's, here's what's interesting about this story as I was reading it. So for the most part, it worked. 
Like the, 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 uh, the German armies were thinking attacks were coming from one area and they came from a different one because their intel was wrong because of based on the pictures that they saw. Um, but here's, as I was reading one, one historian, he said what was interesting though is that they had to spend so much time in the deception that they actually neglected parts of their actual military. So once it was discovered and once it all came to light, they actually paid a pretty steep price because there were certain areas that were left unguarded because they had spent so much time defending and building up the, um, the deception and the, the lie. That's what happens here, is that it might have a, a, the appearance of like it's working and it's doing what they want it to do, but what they're not realizing is that underneath the surface uh, is ripping apart the fabric of this family. And so you get to this passage here, beginning in verse 30, and um, so as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, and Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. His, uh, he also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father, and he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. And his father Isaac said, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. And then Esau trembled very violently and said, Who was it then who hunted game and brought it to me that I ate it before you came? And I blessed him. Yes, he shall be the one blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him lord over you, and over all his brothers I have given him for servants, and grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me even also. And my, oh, my father, and, and Esau lifted up his voice, and he wept. And Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword shall you live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob, because the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Like, can we sit on that for a second? Like, just the weight, the hatred is so strong in this moment. Like, this is not light. This is not a casual, I'm, I'm mad at you. Like, the only solution that comes to the mind of Esau in this moment is, I'm going to murder my brother. Like, it, it's, it's over. It is, it is over. I, I'm going to end his life. I, I look at this situation, and I think, this is crazy. Right, the, the level of dishonesty, the level of deceit, the level of hostility, the level of anger, and like all of this stuff coming together, and I think this, like this is crazy. How could this possibly be the way that God wanted to 
fulfill his promise. Like, how could it possibly be that, that this was going to be the way? And yet, God works in the midst of this disaster, right? Because that's what it is. God works in the midst of, of this disaster to, to bring about his purpose and to, to bring about the blessing that ultimately is going to lead to the, 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 lead to the coming of Jesus. And we think, but when you look at that on the outside and you think, this is, like, there's nothing redeemable here. How could, how could anything good come out of this mess? You ever asked that question before? How could anything good come out of, of this mess? Well, we're going to see how. We're going to see how in just a minute. So you get to the end of this chapter, and, you know, Rebecca has a plan. She sees the hatred of Esau, so she sends Jacob away and says, you go see my brother, you know, go to, you go to Laban and Laban's house, and you spend time there until the, um, uh, until the, the wrath of your brother basically is subsides, which is interesting because she says, until he forgets what you have done to him. So very quickly, she's removing herself from this whole situation it was her idea in the first place, and now she's saying, well, whatever you, what you've done to him, and it's like she's, again, it's just, she, she, there's just layer upon layer of, of deceit and, and wickedness. So she gets this idea. She sends Jacob away, and you get to the end of this chapter, and it's just, it's just a mess. You see what damage sin does in the home. We had a men's gathering yesterday, and um, Brother Chuck, thank you for, for sharing from your heart and sharing the word of the Lord, but I, I began to look around at this a room of men and just began to think, like, how much God has called us to, guys, as men, to be, to be the leaders of our home, and so often we just, we just give that up, like, we just, we, we, we fail to lead the way that God is called us to, especially when situations like this and when we're called to, to spiritually lead our, our homes. And so when, when, there's, when there's sin, then we as men need to step up. And either if it's our own sin, we need to acknowledge it. We need to, we need to own it and we need to repent. We need to walk in, 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 in repentance and faithfulness to God. And if it's someone else in our home, we got to do the exact same thing. We got to graciously come alongside and, 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 and call sin for, for what it is because this is what sin does. Like it uproots and it destroys. And, and, and I say that because there's a lot of us in here that you'd say, yeah, like I've seen the damage of sin in my home, in my house. I've seen what it does. I've seen the impact that, that, that it can make. I've seen the, the way that deceit and dysfunction, what it, what it can do. But you don't have to be left with in hopelessness because even in the midst of that, there's a God who is bigger than those things, who is gracious and loving and forgiving and can walk us through that stuff and can be, and be, redeem the, the, the worst part of your story in your life. He can redeem it. Well, that's what he's going to, to do here. We see the, the damage that sin does, and we see the damage that happens when we try to force the hand of God, try to force the plan of God according to our own, our own way, and it never ends well. Well, you get to chapter 28, and this, again, more mess. <laughs> uh, Esau sees that, 
Um, his wives are not pleasing. Uh, he's got multiple wives already, which he wasn't supposed to have. And he sees that, that these Hittite women are not pleasing. So he's, he's like, all right, well, I'm going to go get a different wife and try to, he's just trying to grasp at straws, trying to, you know, overcome his, his brother Jacob and gain favor in the family. And again, I'm not sure if it could become more dysfunctional than, it, than this. And then, in that moment, in that dysfunction, we see God enter the story. He's there the whole time. But specifically, as Jacob's on this journey, fleeing from his brother, he goes to sleep and God meets him in a dream. So if you look at chapter 28, looking down at verse 10, we've already seen the character of Jacob, right? It's not good. It's not good. We've seen, we've seen how, what he's capable of doing. And now we get to see the character of God. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. So it says in verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he placed it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and at the top of it reached to the heavens. And behold, the angels of God were descending and ascending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread along abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I'm with you. I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And I was afraid, and he was afraid, and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, or Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. When Jacob made a vow saying, Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me, and of course we know he will, and will keep me in this way, in the which that I go, and he will, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I will come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I shall set up, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give to me, I will give a full tenth. Back to you. So Jacob has a dream. Probably grew up in, in Sunday school or heard, hearing the stories of Jacob's ladder or singing, singing songs about Jacob's ladder. Ironically, I don't know why we even call it Jacob's ladder because Jacob has nothing to do with it, right? It's, it's not his, it's, it's God speaking to him. It's not his ladder. It's not something that he's looking to do. It's, it, this, this encounter with God is not something that he deserves. And yet, in that moment, in the midst of his mess, his deception, um, the dysfunction of his family, the brokenness of that situation, God meets a broken man 
right there. We see this incredible dream where a, a ladder or a stairway to heaven is, and we see angels ascending and descending. And, and what's interesting is that Scripture doesn't ever give us like a very explicit uh, interpretation of exactly what this is. But in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, we see Jesus using this, referencing this exact moment. And where he, he, but he uses it as a way to, re, to reflect on his ministry. And so when we, when we add the New Testament understanding from Jesus with what's going on here, you can see the ladder as sort of a symbol of access to God, right? So there's, there's a stairwell that, that God has come down, and God is saying to Jacob, I am here, I will be with you, I'm not going anywhere. Here's what's crazy to me, is that Jacob does not deserve this, right? If anything, he deserves the complete opposite, and yet it's in that moment that God takes the initiative, right, to come down to him. So it's not Jacob's ladder, it's God's ladder accessing himself, making himself accessible to Jacob. And so then what Jesus would do in the New Testament is say, you remember the ladder that when God encountered Jacob there, when, when God met with Jacob? He's going to say, that's me. Like, I'm the access that you now have to the Father, and it comes through me. And so Jesus would say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the gate. All these things have the fulfillment in Jesus. And so he'd say, that's all that? It's pointing to me. See, Jacob didn't deserve it. Jacob didn't earn it, and neither do we. Like, like look at the initiative of God. Just check out the all the I will. So look at that passage again. So beginning in verse 13, when God starts speaking, right? So just if you, in fact, if you mark your Bible, I'd like circle them or, or, or highlight them. All the times you see this I will. It's declarations of God taking the initiative to a broken man. He says, I am the Lord. I will give you, I will give to you and to your offspring this land. And, and behold, verse 15, and I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, and I will never leave you until I have done what I have promised to do. I will do these things. It's the initiative of God. God steps out of heaven to meet with Jacob. I think it's this encounter with God that's going to begin to reshape Jacob's life. Now, he's got a long way to go. Like, he's, like we're going to learn next week. We're going to learn that in the weeks to come, there's a lot of messiness that keeps continuing to happen. But I think this is probably the, the fundamental moment in Jacob's life where God is beginning to awaken him and steer his heart to him. But he does so with this gracious, un merited favor. You see, listen, like the only explanation here is the grace of God. Like that's it. There's, there's nothing good in Jacob that we should be reading anything like this. It's only by the gracious, unmerited favor of, like we, we should be reading this and be like, this is crazy kind of love. Like what kind of love that the Father is lavishing here? And the only explanation is the grace and mercy of God. Jonathan Edwards said, God's mercy is so great that it reaches out even to those who have rebelled against him 
and spurned his love. John Bunyan said, God's mercy is an ocean that swallows up all of our sins. Matthew Henry said, the mercy of God is an inexhaustible fountain, always ready to cleanse the sinner who seeks it. I like what Paul says about the mercy of God in Ephesians. If you want to turn there for a moment, Ephesians chapter 2. And you, verse 1, who were dead in the trespasses and sins. He's talking to us, by the way. So just, just like soak this in. And you, Jared, you can put your name there. Who were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Jared, that's you. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when you, Jared, were dead in your trespasses, God made you alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of your works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the mercy of God. And if you're here this morning and you are a believer, you've been born again, you have been saved, that's your story. You, the, the, the first part, the bad news, and the but God. Like, that's, that's your story. But maybe for everybody, that's not your story. And maybe you might be in here and you might, you know, you might say, listen, like, you don't know my story, and there's nothing redeemable about my story. And I want to say you're wrong. You're wrong. Because God, who is rich in mercy, God can do what we can't do. God can do what we can't even comprehend and think of doing. I heard a story this week. Worship team, you guys can come on up. We're going we're gonna to close out with this. I heard a story, and then I looked it up on YouTube to, to just kind of see it and verify it. And You can find it. This girl, her name is Annie Lobert. You can look her up on YouTube, and you can see her, her testimony, her story. Um, Annie grew up in a Christian home. When she was a teenager, she was raped, and that sent her life in a down, downward spiral, um, pursuing sex and drugs and everything in between. And that led to more rape and more abuse and she was just completely torn to pieces. I mean, her life was falling apart. The only thing she knew to do was to start selling her body. So 
she became a prostitute in Las Vegas. And she just, that was her life from that point forward. Uh, She went from place to place, hotel to hotel, and that was like her existence was, was that. Well, that played out for many, many years uh, and she was just more and more and more broke. So she tells her story and she says that she would look at herself in the mirror and she would just, with just disgust and say, you know, God is so mad at you. God, God can't stand you. And she would tell herself these things. And she said she would, she would get in the shower and she'd try to scrub her, herself. And she said, I, would, I could never get clean. And then she would tell herself again, you will never, ever be clean. So one night, she was, again, she just couldn't cope. And so she decided that she was just going to take all the drugs that she possibly could. And she, she took so many drugs and she'd been passed out on the floor she said she remembers laying there on the floor, and it was that moment where she just said, I just cried, and I just wept, and I screamed and cried out to the Lord, Jesus, if you're real, will you save me? She said in that moment, the Lord reached down from heaven, <clears throat> and he saved her. The ambulance came, and she says, she, just, she describes it in her story. She said, they told her, little girl, you shouldn't be here. Like, you, you have so many drugs in your system, you should be dead. And it was in that moment that she knew that she had been spared and saved by the Lord. And so she surrendered her life to Jesus. The Lord brought her out of that lifestyle, but crazy enough, actually took her back into it to speak truth into these girls' lives. She started a ministry towards for prostitutes that, that God used to draw other women out of that. She uses her story as a way to, to, to declare hope to people who are in broken places. She said something at the end of her story. Again, you can go and, and check it out. But here's what she said. She's closed her testimony. She said, I was a little girl lost who thought no one loved her, thought no one wanted her, and ran away from her castle. But God met her on that dark road, and he said, you can come home right now. I'm right here. I never left you. She said, I was redeemed and set free, and now that's my story. Like, how how beautiful is that? That God met her right there think about that and I think about our lives and, and again I don't, I don't know if maybe that's your story or maybe you have some other kind of story where you'd say you know I, I don't know if God can ever do anything with the mess of my life well did you read the story we just read with Jacob he can redeem your story but it doesn't start with you trying to put your life back together it starts with you surrendering your life to him and let him do that like, like, let him put the pieces back together. It starts with him. God takes the initiative. All we have to do is respond. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, right now I pray by your spirit that you would work on every heart, 
And that if there is someone here, maybe they're watching online, maybe they're listening, Lord, and they need, to, they need to hear these words, that you are a God who redeems broken things. That you are a God who takes mess and makes something beautiful. But it starts with you. And it starts by crying out to a God who is merciful and saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, would that be today? In somebody's heart, let that be their story starting today. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you stand to your feet? We're going to sing together. I'm going to be right down here. If, if you're here and you'd say, I, just, I need somebody to pray for me. Um, there, there are ladies here that would love to pray with you or... Um, Man, if there's, if there's something that you want somebody to pray over you, maybe you're here and you say, I've got so many questions about faith, life, Jesus. I've got so many questions. I just want somebody to talk to you. I'll be right here. I would love to talk to you. I'd love to show you the grace and the mercy of Jesus that can meet you right where you are right now. So as we sing together, let's take this time to seek after the Lord.